representation means you exist. Without representation, you're invisible and you don't exist. To me, voting is a privilege because my ancestors did not have this privilege. And this is why I vote. Welcome to COVID Conversations, a micro-series in Theatre Simple's podcast, Park Bench. For our first topic, we are exploring voting, one's culture around voting, not necessarily one's political affiliations, but how one thinks about the idea of voting, what the act of voting means for different Americans. We've got thoughts from folks age 11 to 93 from across the U.S. and even overseas. Park Bench is an interactive public art piece that often resembles a tiny park on a rolling hill where we invite people to have a seat and have a chat from a slightly different perspective. But COVID-19 has impacted our art, so we adapt. This episode, you'll hear recorded phone conversations and cell phone recorded voice memos. We've had so many enthusiastic and inspiring submissions that we're splitting this first topic of voting into two episodes. We found it reassuring to hear similar statements and philosophies from both sides of the political aisle. And we acknowledge and accept there are deep challenges still to be tackled and resolved around these ideas of representation and even who is allowed to vote. But listening to these voices, we believe we as a country have many more commonalities than differences. And now, here is episode two of COVID Conversations, Voting. When the 15th Amendment was passed in 1870, it did not include Native people. Up until 1962, which was the final state, we did not have that right to vote. I regard voting as something between a sacred right and a sacred duty, or maybe a combination of the two. And I remember in middle school, when I was still part of a homeschool group, I had an activity where everyone wrote down who they would have voted for for president in that election cycle. And we all put it in a ballot box, filled out a voter registration card that I'd created, and held an in-school election. American Indian or Alaskan Native Heritage membership in the Kiowa tribe of Oklahoma. Well, I would just say white male, elderly, retired uh, government servant. I am 27. I'm a white, cisgendered, pansexual female. I live in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. I live in Tacoma, Washington. It's a privilege. Our ancestors gave up a lot, yet had no voice in the leadership of this country. And that played an enormous part on why we don't have the lands and resources that we have, because we had no representation. Both my grandmothers were suffragists. And they were able to vote for the first time in 1920, thanks to the 19th Amendment. One was 50, almost 51. The other was in her late 30s. 
and my mother was active in the League of Women Voters at the city, state, and city, county, and state levels for many years. So I think I have a heritage there. Voting to me means an opportunity to participate in my community, in my country, putting my money where my mouth is in terms of the kind of activist work I focus on in my professional and personal career. Voting for my rights and the rights of the people that I love. It means feeling a connection to my country that I otherwise don't tend to feel. To be honest, the time you're the most excited when you are voting for the president for the first time, it feels like you've really arrived as a voter. In my mind, when you uh, get to vote in a presidential election. I first voted when I turned 18. To be completely honest, I think when I was that age, voting meant more of, oh, here's a right now that I can do now that I'm of age, so I'm going to go vote. Most of the adults in my life, grandparents, parents, aunts, uncles, everybody around me, I was taught and it was talked about the um, marches and the fight to gain the right to vote and remembrances of when they couldn't vote or weren't allowed to vote. Identify myself as an elderly Caucasian male in the northwest part of Ohio. I'm a first-generation American from India, currently residing in Seattle, Washington, born in Texas. An African-American woman, also um, Navajo Apache, Seattle, Washington. I kind of think that voting, there are three R's. We all feel like we have the right to vote, but I like to think that the right to vote also comes along with responsibility, and the responsibility for that is for you as a person, as a voter, to figure out how to get yourself registered. The right to vote, the responsibility to vote, and get yourself registered properly so you can vote. I will definitely be voting in the election this year. Unfortunately, I think this year our election will be based off of personality instead of policy. But regardless, I still want to make sure my vote is out there. And how we as African Americans felt and how we didn't have a say in our government. So this was just like the gaining of another freedom for, you know, most of the people around me and how they talked about the opportunity to be able to vote and how important it was to do so. This election, I volunteered for both a nonpartisan and a partisan um, organization to both get out the vote and um, encourage people to vote for the candidates that I'm supporting. It's pretty inspiring to work um, on the nonpartisan side because you're really just telling people to exercise their right. I remember being very, very excited about it. I was a freshman in college. The first time I voted, I was very proud. I felt like I was an adult. I just thought, this is really what democracy is. I mean, I was very, very thrilled about it. They voted as almost like a religion. It was so important to them. And, uh, Jews were very political and very involved in the political process, particularly in New York. And uh, 
and I followed. Both my husband and I are a little sad to no longer have a polling place where we can go on the day and push the button and sort of engage in a national uh, exercise. But on the other hand, paper mail-in ballots make it so much easier for so many more people to vote that it's hard to be upset about that. South Asian American and as an American Muslim, I live in Seattle, Washington. Caucasian, 79-year-old woman. I live in Northern California. I live in Arcata, California. I am 86 years old. as a uh, overeducated, middle to upper middle class white lady who is uh, trying to wake up to a lot of stuff that I was sheltered from when I was growing up. So I'm trying to pay more attention more broadly and more comprehensively. And I'm a mom. And so I'm thinking a lot about what examples we're setting and what we're teaching our kids. Get out and vote. Keep doing democracy. Keep educating everybody around you. And so it's been interesting to, to see people respond in a partisan manner and feel as if they're being asked to do something that they don't agree with when really we're just trying to get people to go out and vote. What's also been encouraging is that there have been a lot of volunteers out there, even though we've seen many, many instances of uh, different jurisdictions trying to suppress the vote. Folks are really trying to get out there and make sure that people are voting and, and that their votes are counted. To me, um, voting is uh, holy grail. It's uh, one of the most important obligations I think a citizen has to do. I also feel that it's important for me before I vote to find out what I'm voting for. And that was something my mother taught me, to be aware of who the person is you're voting for and why you really want to vote for them. I think voting is something really important in that our voice matters, no matter how small or how little of a percentage that we are, it still matters. Get out and vote because, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but the country's kind of on fire, literally, metaphorically, and physically. And don't let people intimidate you or stop you from voting the way you would, you will. It's something that is very easy for me to take for granted. You know, the fact that as a woman, um, I wouldn't have been allowed to vote if I had been born in a not-too-distant time. And clearly, a lot of people have fought for the right to vote. So we were, my sister and I and my mom were living with my grandparents. And my grandfather told me, very seriously, that he had not been allowed to vote when he was young. I don't know... Uh, when he finally got able to vote, maybe after he got back from World War II, but he couldn't vote. So he said, I want you to promise me that you're always going to vote. And the love of my life, my grandpa, I told, told him, yeah, that's all I always have. And he was just so proud taking me down to register to vote for the first time. I am white. I am an American citizen. I was born and raised in Arizona. This is my first vote. By geography, I live in Seattle. I was born here, too. I am 15 years old. 35 years old, middle class, live in Washington, D.C. I'm an African-American female. I'm in Seattle. You know, the whole republic that we have set up in the United States doesn't work the way it's supposed to if people don't vote. 
it's hard to complain about the way things are if you don't get out there and vote because you're not kind of doing your part. I have contacted representatives and congress members and and we've even contacted our local ward council member about different issues in our community or in the country at large and I want to be able to say, you know, I'm a voter. <laughs> it matters that you kind of listen to me because I'm paying attention and that can affect the way I vote in the next election. If I was old enough, I would be because politics and voting are an important part of a citizen's life and duty. I registered to vote when I was 16 because I knew for the November election I would be 18 and I wanted to make sure that I would be able to vote by then. I did research um, beforehand, and I also used a little pamphlet that they gave us and used a lot of governmental websites to see what they believed in, what they stood for um, from third-party news sources and, of course, the government sources as well, trying to get an unbiased view of them. I remember thinking when I first found out that as a liberal or progressive Democrat, I would be considered left-wing. You know, the people that were conservative would be considering right-wing. And it flashed into my head the image of a bird. I'm like, well, a bird needs both wings to fly. And that's kind of how I thought that a healthy, functioning body politic should operate. You have the big center, which I probably the vast majority of people are basically pretty centrist. And you need a left wing to move forward, but you kind of need an anchor too, because you can get crazy on the other side. So that was uh, that's always been my image of what, what a healthy political body would look like, Bert. What I do remember is volunteering in the 1992 election. It, I was in St. Paul, Minnesota. I uh, volunteered to drive senior citizens to the polls. And a more enthusiastic, more delighted, more ready-to-chat group of people you couldn't find. They were all tickled to have some help, tickled to have somebody to talk to, tickled to tell somebody about how important voting was to them. I seem to remember also trying to push a school bus out of a snowdrift that day. It was a busy day with lots of snow. Until I die, I'm going to vote. <laughs> I might even come out of my casket and vote if, if it's close to the time. In voting, um, up until recently, there were no people that looked like me. And now, for the first time in history, we have four representatives that are Alaskan Native or American Indian heritage. And it's because we are voting now. We are going to the polls and expressing a right that we didn't have until recently. And still there is voter suppression our administ present administration wants Native people to have a physical address in order to vote. Wait a minute, the American 
historic policy was to put Indians in the most remote locations that the rest of America didn't want to live on. And so we're scrambling to find a way to get a physical address so that we can express one of the most democratic values of all, of voting. Out of my immediate family of five, two of us have experienced an incident where we were denied the right to vote. Both of us visibly Muslim, both of us visibly non-white. She and my brother and my sister went out to vote on election day uh, in South Carolina where they were living at the time. So they were standing in line for three hours in on a cold night. For my mom, that actually wasn't possible. So she and my sister tried to take advantage of curbside voting that was available for seniors and people with disabilities. The response she got was, well, there are people in line who are in their 80s, and that was it. So my mom had to go home not having voted. So for me as a civil rights attorney and an advocate for people to exercise their rights, that has stuck with me. I'm convinced that it, if it hadn't been a line full of African-Americans, if it hadn't been a visibly Muslim woman with the wrong kind of accent, that they would have maybe shown her some more respect. Voting-wise, the main issue is that a lot of people, at least in the U.S. and probably in other countries, are losing faith in electoralism and democracy after seeing people get elected even when they've lost the popular vote, thanks to gerrymandering and the Electoral College. But a lot of people are trying to use that as an excuse to not vote, which... If you've got the option between no system and a broken system, you might as well participate in the broken system, since that way you can at least make some change, even if it's not as much or as fair change as we would want. Well, knowing my history and being of the generation I am, I have mixed feelings about voting, especially with the electoral count, and don't really understand why that takes precedent over what the general vote is, what the populist vote is, what the people vote is. But I do feel like it is still important for me to be out there and voting. Especially in the local elections, I think you have more of an opportunity to speak up about the issues that are important to you and to get local officials elected who you know, align with your views on policies in the community. Again, to be completely honest, I never voted in local elections until this year. I think with everything going on around the world and locally in Seattle, it made me realize how important it is to understand who is, you know, in charge and how important it is for you to get, you know, your voice out there and your vote out there. Well, first of all, I think it is my civic duty to do that. I mean, I think we have a democracy and we're allowed to vote and we don't have a dictatorship or anything like that. So I think, you know, it's it's very sad that only about one third of the people vote and, uh, you know, and then they still continue to complain about how things are. So it's it's kind of a sad situation, I think. You know, it's just mainly it's something I enjoy doing, and I, I feel it's my duty to do that. 
because from overseas, and indeed I think often within the U.S., you had to write first to the Board of Elections to ask for an application for a ballot. They would send you the application, you'd send it back, they'd send you the ballot, you'd mark the ballot, and you'd mail it in. That's five separate transits. But I don't think I ever missed an election, even while overseas. I will be working at the next election. In fact, I've been working at elections here, starting with the presidential of 2004, which is a long day from 6 a.m. till we finish, usually around 9 or 10 p.m. I think it's different, too. This is my first election in Washington, D.C., and it's been interesting since living here, just the whole political process. You know, we don't have a voting representative in Congress. We do have one woman in Congress, but she's not a voting member. So it feels very strange now to not have representation. Um, So I think that does kind of change voting a little bit, not having the opportunity to vote on as many things or just not having as much of a voice in the federal government. So I had lived in Ohio, I lived in um, Washington State, and I lived in Michigan. And then I was uh, living in, uh, then I moved to DC to go to graduate school. And it's like politics is the air there. I mean, you're, it permeates everything. I remember my uh, my friends in grad school used to laugh at me because I, um, I called the, the city center, okay, that's all the government stuff. So you have all of the, all the buildings, you have all the memorials. It's a showcase because people come from all the country and all over the world and they keep it clean and beautiful and it's a showcase. So that part I kind of like. But I used to call it the plantation. And they would laugh at me, like, why would I, why am I calling it, why would I think that? And it's, I mean, that's what it is. It's a big white house in the middle. And then outside of that, that area is, uh, it's encircled by lower income, mostly African-American people. And they're the service people. They, you know, they do the cleaning and the driving and the, you know, making the, making the town work and don't have representation in the white house. So I always called it plantation. They thought I was being, I don't know, radical or something, but it seems like an appropriate description to me. I am planning on voting in this upcoming election. I received my ballot by mail on Saturday, and I find that while I was looking forward to it all week long, waiting and waiting and waiting, that I have walked by it on my kitchen counter every day. It's now Tuesday afternoon, and I just can't quite bring myself to sit down and fill it out. The stakes this year seem immensely high for me. And I think every time I walk by this ballot, I think about the last election and the fact that I'm not quite sure what will happen. Uh, Voting means the opportunity to support candidates who share my values. So I'm sorry I have to say this, but voting is probably the least important thing you do as far as politics is concerned. Other, uh, I mean, it's, you're not supposed to say that voting is the least independent thing, the least important thing you do, but it also means a lot of other things. Doesn't mean voting is not important this time, 
Boating is probably the most important thing. I've had some discussions with a couple of people who decided not to vote. I've lost a few friends from this election. I, I do believe like there's good and friendly discussion. A lot of this election between just discussions and conversations and no one really wants to hear the other side unless they have an open mind to begin with. If they're coming in with just like hatred, they don't want to listen. They want to be right. I strongly feel that, you know, we have to work within the system we have no matter how broken. In order to change that system, you have to get the right people into power. You have to work within the means you have. I'm all down for revolution <laughs> and evolution. everybody who's on the fence about it, vote for my granddaddy. Vote for my granddaddy and all the other black granddaddies and grandmas who weren't allowed to vote. If you don't want to do it yourself, do it do it for those folks. I think if you drill all the way down to the bedrock, it's about American voting rights. And I sincerely believe that um, if we are able to regain a fair and free, unsuppressed election, all the other stuff will follow, even internationally. Obviously, so many people are trying so hard to suppress the vote. That must be the most important thing. I think we could say that the culture of voting has changed in the sense that it has become so much easier. Mail-in voting was not known around here, although you could request an absentee ballot 20 years ago. Now it's, uh, it's become very much easier, although I know there are other jurisdictions where uh, people are making it difficult. Authorities are making it difficult. You know, there are actually several American citizens who don't get to vote, who don't have representation in Congress. You know, the United States territories and things like people in Puerto Rico and American Samoa. And I think that's shocking when you really learn about it, that the United States essentially has almost like colonies where these people are technically citizens of the United States and they don't get to vote. Out of my immediate family, two of us have experienced an incident where we were denied the right to vote. Uh, you know, two, two different examples of the ways in which folks who are volunteers are given a lot of power over a very fundamental right. And while it's really important to have those volunteers, it's also really important that they um, follow the actual laws. And, and beyond that, that we actually protect the right to vote and make it easy and accessible for people in every county, in every city, in every state in the country. When we change power from one party to the other party, we don't have a riot. We don't have protesting. And, you know, we are not like 
countries that when they decide to throw over the government, there's a revolution and people die. And, and I'm concerned because when people are for a certain party and they don't win, they seem to protest and it's like playing in a sports game and you lose and then you want to change the way it's done or something. That kind of bothers me. Human rights. That would be the main issue for me is that everybody in this country have the same opportunity to excel and to go forward with their lives. It would be equity, making sure everybody was getting what they needed, and that can look like housing, that can look like debt forgiveness, that can look like uh, undoing all the gerrymandering and making sure everybody's vote counts and getting rid of the Electoral College. We should absolutely do that. There are a wide variety of LGBTQ plus voting issues and rights issues that I take serious concern with, but especially as it pertains to the laws surrounding trans people. I have a lot of people who are very special and important and close to me in my life who are trans, and I particularly find it immensely disturbing that the rights of trans people are being threatened as continuously as they have been. If I were to pick any one issue, I would have to say with just basic human rights to your body, which includes, like, for example, LGBTQIA+. I would love to get married, but that might not be an option for me. And there are so many great people that deserve that love and that basic human right to just exist in the world. I would say most important would be health care. Equally important to me is the immigration issue. The immigration situation, again, directly impacts my family. My children are children of immigrants. My husband was from France. My daughter was born in France. Um, my grandfather was an immigrant. And so we're constantly dealing with those type of issues. If you're an immigrant, you're not, you don't exist. Native people are more conscientious we know that these pandemics have wiped out our entire populations. There are tribes, most tribes, that no longer exist. Before contact, there was an estimated population of Native people in North America. A low estimation would be 20 million, and the highest that I've read is 120 million native people on this land. But by the year 1900, there were only a quarter million natives left because of disease that was brought here. We are no strangers to disease at all. Now it is important to us of prioritizing, of saving our elders because 
they are the knowledge keepers. Without representation, you're invisible and you don't exist. for listening to COVID Conversations Episode 2 on voting. And many, many thanks to all of the amazing people who recorded their thoughts for us, really considering the depths of what a vote can represent and the many nuanced underpinnings and assumptions. If you would like to be a part of a future conversation, check out our website at theatersimple.org. You'll find a link to COVID Conversations under Podcasts. The next topic, unpack the idea of being a citizen for us, or citizenship, And how do they relate for you? The deadline is early November 2020. Our music is the work of the amazing Rob Whitmer and the sublime Chandra Cogburn. You can find links to more of their work in the show notes at our website. These COVID conversation interviews were conducted by Lisa Holland. Hey, that's me. And Andrew Litsky, who is also the editor extraordinaire for Park Bench. Thanks so much for listening. And we hope to see you on the Park Bench someday. Yes, we hope to see you on the Park Bench. Until then, have a digital seat and tell us your thoughts. We'll tell the world.